Today's reading is from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Abby. You guys can have a seat. If you've been here at all, you've heard the phrase that Redemption Church is one church with nine different congregations spread throughout the state of Arizona. And we're elder-led and we're lead pastor-led. And so what that means is every congregation looks a little bit different because the people are different in those congregations and the places are different in those congregations. But every week, pretty much the same text is read and taught at all nine different congregations. But about once a year, sometimes twice a year, we will get off of that road of teaching through the books of the Bible. We just got through Philippians. We're about to jump into Exodus, and Exodus will carry us all the way through until right before Christmas at Advent. But sometimes we'll get off of that highway for one, two, or three weeks to talk specifically to our community and our congregation. So that's what we're doing these two weeks. Today and next week, we're going to talk specifically about what we need to hear as a community. And then we will jump in to Exodus. So as the elders prayed and we thought through, what do we need to hear? We said, there's two things that keep coming to the surface that we really need to address on stage. And this is something we call rhythms. Right after we finished about a year planting a church, we did this again. We had three sermons. We talked about um, mission. Sean preached on mission. What is mission and how does that need to be central to our DNA? And then I preached on the Bible, or I preached on prayer. What does it mean to be a people of prayer? And then Sean taught on the Bible about a year into us planting a church about four and a half years ago. And so now we're back to what do we need to hear four years into this thing we've been doing called church as a community? And I have a niece who's a year old, and it's kind of cute when she sits in her high chair and you feed her food, and she'll take the food and she'll sling it across the room at the dog. And it's kind of cute for your one-year-old to do that. And you kind of go, oh, that's cute. And you gently correct and things like that. If she's doing it when she's five, it's, it's not really cute anymore. And so as we look at Ephesians and another passage in the New Testament in Acts, as we grow up in our community together, we have to start realizing we're four and a half years old. We need to start having some mature conversations from up front. So the things that kept coming to the surface as we prayed as elders was we need to talk about what does it really mean to be committed to a local body, to a church? As we're doing this thing, we're almost five years old. And what does it mean to give to a church? We've never addressed giving from the stage. We've addressed it, but we haven't spoken on it um, specifically. And the reason is because there's so much abuse with the church and with money and things like that. So we've kind of swung way over here and haven't really talked about it a ton. And we're realizing as we continue to grow, there is a healthiness of giving as God calls us to give as part of our discipleship and growth. And so next week, Sean is going to talk specifically about that. But this morning, what we're going to address 
using the passage and really verses 13 and 14 specifically in Ephesians is what does it mean to be committed to a local church? So that's where we're going to go. Let me pray and we will jump in. Father, thanks for your goodness to us, for your love for us. I pray that you would go before us in this conversation, that we would hear from your spirit in the midst of what are we What do you need to push us to do in the areas of commitment, in the areas of expectations? God, we want to love you well. We need your spirit to move and go before us. We pray this in your name. Amen. So, it's probably the first year I'm married. Um, In the first year I'm married, and I'm having this conversation. I don't know about you, but you get married, you bring like all this baggage into your marriage and all these ways you think is the right way to do things. And then that person brings all their baggage and all their things of how they're rightly thinking. I'm having this conversation with my wife, and we're talking about trying to commit to going somewhere or doing something. We can't quite nail it down and decide on it. And so she says the phrase, well, let's just, let's just play it by ear. And I said, yeah, that's a good idea. And I said, wait, say that phrase again? She said, well, let's just play it by ear. And I said, it's play it by year. Y-E-A-R. You think it's play it by ear? I was like, because I've always heard that phrase, and when you're talking about the phrase, you're talking about time. So I always equated it with like, okay, a year has to do with time, and that's what it sounds like, but why would you say play it by year? That seems a long time, and play it by year is supposed to be like a short, you're supposed to make a decision right away. So I never really understood it, but I always thought it was play it by year, Y-E-A-R, until that moment in my first year of marriage. And my wife lovingly corrected me and said, babe, I think it's play it by ear, E-A-R. I was like, that doesn't make any sense. What does your ear have to do with time? That's ridiculous. And she was like, well, it's like a music term. You know, you would play it by ear. You don't need the notes and structure. You just play it kind of on the fly. I was like, oh. I was like, okay. That makes way more sense. I've been confused for 20 plus years on this phrase. And anytime somebody would say it, I would think there's, did anybody, is anybody being corrected for the first time in this moment is really my question, because you thought it was played by year two. Nobody, it's just me. It's just me. Okay. The reason I tell that story is because we start to get shaped and formed by certain things in our life, and we start to think and assume those things are correct, like me in that phrase. And when you think about your relationship with the church, the people of God, the gathering of God, some of you, this is brand new. You haven't been to church longer than a month. This is a whole new community for you. And some of you, like Tim Toby, can't think of a Sunday that you've never been to church. You just grew up as a baby in church. You've always gone to church. It's just been part of your rhythm to gather with God's people, sit under his teaching, and go out to share Jesus. But when we think about your relationship and as we are formed early in those thoughts, just like playing it by year was something I thought was true, I needed to be corrected to understand what really is true about that phrase. And so some of us in this room, we all bring baggage into what we think church is and what our expectations of church are and what our commitment should be. And the question is, are we more informed by the culture what the culture says church should be, or are we more informed by the Bible? And what the scriptures say this community should be. 
And so as we talk through what it means to be committed to the church, I think we have to peel back and start looking at what are the undercurrents of our culture and what are the culture says the church is supposed to be. We have to start there and being some of those incorrect assumptions before we can jump into, okay, what does it mean then to be this community of God? So again, let's look down at your Bibles in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 13 and 14 says this. It says, until we attain the unity of the faith of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure and stature of the fullness of Christ, verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. As we continue to grow as a church, as we're almost five years old, into maturity, we have to realize that we can still be tossed to and fro like children. And specifically what I want to look at is that last phrase, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. What does that mean and what does that have to do with the expectations we bring in to what we think church should be? Because when we think of that word crafty, and I think Paul, the writer of this letter, is using this word very intentionally, because in the very beginning, Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, in the beginning of all the story, beginning of all the Bible, God makes everything. He makes everything really good. And he puts humans, the pinnacle of creation, into this garden, and he tells them he's going to give them work to do, to cooperate with God. And so they're called to be fruitful and multiply and take care of the land and take care and name the animals, and he gives them this work to do. And the first time we see an adversary introduced to the story is Genesis chapter 3. And do you know the first description used of him? It's crafty. It's the most crafty of all The animals is what the Bible says in Genesis chapter 3. And if you know the rest of the story, Adam and Eve, the first humans, get tricked into believing that God is holding out on them. The adversary says, listen, is this really what God said? He takes some type of truth and he begins to twist it and change it to make the first man and woman believe and disobey God. So I think Paul is using this word craftiness very intentionally. And when he says, by craftiness in deceitful schemes, we have to start to understand what that means. Because what happens in Genesis chapter 3 is sin enters into the narrative. So now everything that was good is now twisted and broken and wrong. Not only are we broken in our relationship with God, there's a gap there now, but we're also broken internally. We're broken within ourselves. We have anxiety. We don't know how to manage ourselves well. Not only that, we're broken with God. We're broken with ourselves. We're broken with other people. The next chapter in the Bible, the first story is about a brother that kills another brother. We just heard Josh talk about what happened yesterday at that Walmart. We don't know how to live with each other. Not only are we broken with God, we're broken internally. We're broken with other people. We're also broken with the earth. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 3 that now man will toil over his work. It's hard. You will sweat. It will be painful for childbirth. We're broken in all these different areas. And so when we talk about the adversary, the enemy coming after us, it's not just sometimes we think about sin and the devil and just our individual souls. We only think of he's, he's after that, but he works on a much larger scale. Sin is cosmic not just individual. And so the enemy goes after systems, and we have to be aware of the systems he's going after, even as you see, by the craftiness and deceitful schemes. That word deceitful in the original language means mentally led astray. 
mentally led astray, and then the word scheme is, in the original language in Greek, it's methodia. We talked about this up here before. Methodia, which is where we get our words method, and it means trickery. So not to be children that are tossed to and fro by the craftiness and the schemes of the enemy is not to be mentally pulled away or mentally led astray by his trickery. So I think the trickery, when we've talked about it and we'll continue to talk about that we live in currently in our era is the era of consumerism. That the enemy would want you to believe, and even some of you heard the sermon last week when Sean preached on Philippians chapter 4 and contentment, that that struck such a chord with so many people because we're built to believe from our culture and our society that we can't be content. We need to continue to go after things. And I think that's what the enemy is talking about here. People's sinful hearts, the ambition of our forefathers mixed with the commercialism of the American dream has given birth and rise to consumerism. And it's seeped in to our churches. Listen to what former chap, the chaplain of the U.S. Senate, Richard Halverson, says about this. He says, in the beginning, the church was a fellowship of men and women centered on the living Christ. Then the church moved to Greece, where it became a philosophy. Then it moved to Rome, when it became an institution. Next, it moved to Europe, where it became a culture. And finally, it moved to America, where it became an enterprise. Sky Jatani, in his book, Immeasurable, says this about consumerism in the church. He says, We now find ourselves in a culture that defines our relationship and actions primarily through a matrix of consumption. As philosopher Baudrillard explains, consumption is a system of meaning. We assign value to ourselves and others based on the goods we purchase. Your identity is constructed by the clothes you wear, the vehicle you drive, the music on your iPhone. In short, you are what you consume. This explains why shopping is now the number one leisure activity in America. It occupies a role in society that once belonged to religion, the power to give meaning and construct identity. As Peter Ward correctly concludes, consumerism represents an alternative source of meaning to the traditional Christian gospel. No longer merely an economic mentality, consumerism has become the American worldview, the framework through which we interpret everything else, including God, the gospel, and church. So as we have this conversation about what it means to be committed and belong to a church, we first have to realize that we are swimming in the waters of consumerism. If we don't first realize that, our expectations are always going to be out of whack. For me, one of the best ways to get a pulse on what's happening culturally is to watch satire. Saturday Night Live, I think, is the best at looking at cultural norms and making fun and poking fun at them. I want to watch a clip here that's a minute and a half long by a comedian named John Chris. And he continually pokes fun at the church and, and different things like this. And, and I want you to watch his take on the consumerism of our church and what this means. And pay attention specifically to the last line of this video. Let's watch. Tired of having to wake up, get dressed, and drive across town just to attend your favorite service? Introducing Virtual Reality Church. Start by choosing a church building that meets your needs. Tired of the stress of having to choose a Sunday morning outfit? Never make a fashion mistake again, because Virtual Reality Church will style you based on your denomination. 
Not a people person? Select the introvert experience to completely eliminate the welcome team, meet and greet time, connect cards, and that awkward hold hands with the person next to you thing we still do. Next, personalize your morning by choosing the worship experience that you want. Custom options even let you tailor the skinniness of your worship leader's jeans. Finally, no more having to endure songs that you don't like. With Virtual Reality Church, you're in charge. For the sermon, choose the amount of conviction you'd like and we'll select a pastor for you. We'll even let you tailor your sermon topics so you'll never have to attend a Vision Sunday or a sermon series on giving. And never worry again about dozing off during the sermon. With Virtual Reality Church, you can sleep as long as you want. Kids being bad in nursery? Who cares? Worried about missing a football game? Enter your favorite team and we'll provide notifications when the game is starting. Never miss a kickoff again. Want to go for it for prayer? Well, if you selected a Pentecostal service, always stand in front of a mattress. Even connect your social media accounts and we'll post for you. Get credit for being super spiritual all from the comfort of your couch. Finally, an option for people asking the question, how can I make Sunday morning even more about me? Virtual Reality Church. Tired of having- That's funny right there. Some of you are like, where do I go to church? I would love to do that church. That's what I'm talking about. Not ever miss a game, fall asleep whenever I want. That sounds amazing. But again, this is, he's poking fun at it, but a lot of us think we would never say it to this extreme, but we start to have these expectations when we walk into what we call church. We start to think that last line, how can I make Sunday even more about me? And that's what consumerism does. That's the lie, the scheme that the enemy uses, that consumerism says it's all about you. Problem is, the Bible says the church is not all about you. As we think through those expectations, I want to look at an illustration of a boat to ask the question, and you honestly answer, How am I viewing church, my expectations of church, and my commitment to church? Because some of us, if we're honest with ourselves, like this video, we consider church community kind of like going on a cruise, like a cruise ship. When you're on a cruise ship, you kind of have the mentality and the expectations that it's hassle-free. It's entertaining. It's self-indulgent. It's relatively pointless in your tour with no objective beyond your own pleasure. The relationships on a cruise, they usually exist for mutual satisfaction. They tend to be shallow with the other people you don't know going on the cruise. And there's some people who picture going to church like being on a cruise ship. If we view the church as a cruise ship... People believe that they're entitled to a vast array of comforts and conveniences. Just like a cruise, they expect food to be exceptional, their needs to be catered for, their overall experience to be very pleasant on a cruise. And when the things aren't the way they expected, they, if you're on a cruise, you start to kind of complain and whine and kind of say, this isn't, this isn't right. And when things get hard, maybe the sea gets a little rough, maybe it gets a little difficult, you start to get sick, hardship set in, you're quick to declare, this isn't what I signed up for. What's going on here? And some of us, if we're honest, we walk into the conversation of community, of a church, kind of like that. It starts to become all about you. What if instead of looking at a church like a cruise ship, we started looking at it like a battleship? A vehicle for moving God's people forward. People on a battleship, they're mission-oriented, they're focused, they're self-sacrificing in the journey to achieve a victory for what is good and right and true. Relationships exist for the sake of the mission. They tend to be deep, forged in the heat of battle. 
Like those who serve on a battleship, they expect difficulty. They expect hardship. They expect the food and conditions to be adequate, but they don't demand that it meet their every single need. The purpose of the ship is not for their self-gratification, their personal happiness, or their personal pleasure. No, the purpose of being on the battleship is the mission. And the mission of the church is Jesus. To be connected with Jesus. To know God and to make him known. And again, we have drifted because of consumerism into this kind of entertainment, kind of why, why do you go to church? It should be to connect with Jesus, to know him more, to tell other people about him. And this isn't a knock on all of you. It's a knock on us as leaders too. To say, let's be honest as we evaluate and assess. What do we want to be as a church? And we want to be moved more by the scriptures and less by the culture. And so when you look at the scriptures and what the mission is, so that we're not pulled away by the schemes of the enemy, we have to look at a passage like Acts chapter 2. We talk about our, um, our expectations. And this is when the church is birthed. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. This is what it says. This is a picture of what the church should be, our community should be. And they devoted themselves. That word devoted means giving constant attention to. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship of the breaking of the bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Verse 45, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing all the proceeds, to, the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. That's a battleship mentality of those people. And when you look at the New Testament, this word church, ecclesia, shows up 114 times. And the word actually means the assembly of people called out of their homes to a public place. That's what the word church means in the original language. And so when we have expectations of what it means to commit and to belong to a church, we have to start understanding that there are kind of three things that get woven through what this church community looks like in the New Testament. Here's the three. The first one is this. They were people that loved each other. They loved each other sacrificially. We see that in verse 45. They're selling their possessions and their belongings. They're distributing it to everybody that has needs. They love each other. And the scheme of consumerism is just to love yourself. So if you walk into a community and say, well, I don't really want to commit because I don't really like that or I don't like this and it doesn't work out for me and my skit, like the Bible says we're called to love each other sacrificially. And you see that throughout the New Testament, that they would love each other like a family. That's the first thing. The second thing that seems to be carried through the New Testament of this word called church, this community, is not only did they love each other, but they were on mission. See that in verse 47, how God continued to add to their number daily. They didn't just sit in kind of this holy huddle and just love each other like this, but they said, these people need to hear about Jesus. We need to go out into the world and talk about Jesus, this love that has so changed us, so affected us. We want to go out and share it with other people. 
This community was defined by love. They're defined by their mission and, and multiplication. And then the third thing that seems to be evident in this church community is that they gathered to rehearse the story. They got together, verse 46, day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received food with glad and generous hearts. They continued to come together. And what happens in consumerism is you just say, you know what? I will just listen to that podcast of my favorite preacher. You know what? I will just listen to those songs. I can kind of do it on my own. I don't need anybody else. And the New Testament version of the church doesn't make that an option. It doesn't. We need each other to help each other grow because there's things that you're going to pull out of me and there's things I'm going to pull out of you and you can't do that by yourself. They would rehearse the story, the true story. That's why we gather every week in here to rehearse the story because we forget and we're hearing messages of all other types of different stories throughout the week. Would we be people that would love one another sacrificially? Would we be people of mission and multiplication? Would we be people that gather to rehearse the story and to remind each other of the truth? That's what we're committing to. But we're not going to do any of those things perfect. When we marry people, when I officiate a wedding, and people will stand up and they'll say these vows to each other, and, and like they're not going to be able to uphold them. They're going to fail in loving each other well. But that's why we have Jesus. Because he is the perfect person that does not fail us. So if you have expectations of this church being perfect and doing things great and well, like, I'm sorry, we're just flawed people. And we're going to do our best. We're committed to doing our best to point us back to Jesus every time. I love Paul Tripp's definition of the church. He says this, the church is not a theological classroom. It's a conversion, confession, repentance, reconciliation, forgiveness, and sanctification center where flawed people place their trust in Christ, gather to know and love him better, and learn to love others he has designed. The church is messy and inefficient, but it's God's wonderful mess. The place where he radically transforms hearts and lives. And men and women, if you've been coming around for a while, I don't even care if this is your church. Find a church. If Jesus is a priority in your life, if you make him a priority, then the church comes with that wherever you end up going. And so we're asking you to take another level of being committed to say, yes, I'm going to be in. I'm not going to be pulled away by the schemes of consumerism, but I'm going to step forward and I'm going to love sacrificially. I'm going to be on mission to share about Jesus and to love people and to do my job well. And I'm going to continue to gather to be reminded because we need each other in this. Let's pray. Father, thanks for the goodness of your church. As messy it is, as it is, as broken as we are as people, we need each other to remind ourselves of you. So as we think through Are we committed to that area? I pray that you would move us. I pray you would move us to more of a commitment with each other, to more of a commitment to you. God, help us forgive each other when we hurt each other. God, help us keep short accounts with you and one another. 
God, we need you. We thank you for your church, that we don't have to do this alone, that we have each other in the midst of being reminded of your goodness and your grace. We love you, and we pray this in your son's name. Amen.